What Rick, is it? Rick P. Can you? Oh mm-hmm. no, we're good. We're good. You yeah, just quiet. I was worried. Don't panic. I haven't. Yeah. Are we? Are we starting? Yes. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to see your line go chickety chickety. Right. Yeah. I'm here. <laughs> Excellent. A ale for me and for my officers. In fact, ales for everyone. Turn backwards. With Rick and Rick and Will and Zemma. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to another episode of Ten Backward, a Star Trek podcast from Merry Old England. I'm Rick Palmer and as ever, I'm joined by my wonderful fellow hosts, Gemma Turland. Hello. Will Turland. Hello. And Rick Everson. Hello. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing uh, something in the Star Trek universe which has a sort of a, almost like a cult status within the, the fandom. Something which is canon, but has not really been explored very much, but has always sort of intrigued us here at, uh, at 10 Backward. That is Cetacean Ops. Um, now, we've yeah, we we discussed Cetacean Ops a little bit um, in other episodes, but not very much. But the reason we're talking about it in this episode is because a, a friend of mine on Twitter, Matt, who's AP Strange on Twitter, posted an article about a scientist called John C. Lilly, who actually did some research in trying to communicate with dolphins um, in the real world, in our realm, which inspired me to kind of put together this topic for this episode yeah cool yeah citation ops has been referenced in some episodes i read that in the background you hear you hear it referenced in dialogue in yesterday's enterprise mm-hmm. my favorite flipping episode i do not remember <laughs> hearing that referenced at all dr joshua Campbell, and in the perfect mate as well i think right um, I think, you know, that in The Perfect Mate, there's that sort of dusty old chaperone who who ends up getting attacked by uh, getting hurt by the Ferengi. I'm pretty right. sure Geordie yeah. offers to show him Cetacean Ops or something like that. Yes. Mm. Yeah. The Dolphins, I think Cetacean Ops as a department is not named until lower. Right. Day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The Dolphins. That's mm. right. Yeah. May I suggest that you arrange to meet at another time after the ceremony? And perhaps that would be best. But listen. But- have you had a chance to see the dolphins yet? This is Thanks, Adam. really don't want to. Well, dolphins just. But, but. but it's hinted at by, as you say, references in yesterday's Enterprise and um, and uh, Perfect Mate. But yeah, I think yeah. in I think in Lower Decks, the first episode, um, Boimler actually points it out on the on the Master Systems display he shows. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. The warp core is the best part of the ship, uh, followed by the bridge, the photon torpedo tubes, cetacean ops. Dude, the warp core is just a big glowing tube. I love the warp core. The warp core rules. I'm, 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 I'm somewhat intrigued by the fact that cetacean ops is actually gets most mentioned in yesterday's Enterprise, <laughs> where we're seeing an alternate Enterprise that's, that's specifically stated as a, as a ship of war. It's a galaxy-class warship, I think, Tasha says. What the hell kind of battle dolphins have they got on there? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> they should have shown those. Yeah, we it could be, the They could be um, or- orcas, couldn't they, I suppose? <laughs> yeah. Dolphins are pretty badass. Dolphins will take sharks on. 
That's true. Mm. No, yeah. no, you're right there. But anyway, with John, John Lilly, yeah, was an interesting fellow. Who he was born in 1915, and um, after World War Two, he did work during World War Two. I think mostly with the Air Force, um, experiments with sort of had to assist with the, the pilots, helping pilots. Um, but after World War II is where his really interesting work began, where he started exploring the brain and and human consciousness. Um, and so after that, it was in the 1950s that he he was working for like, the U.S. Health Department, and he he came up with the with the idea of trying to isolate the the human the brain from all external stimulus. And through this, he actually he invented the isolation tank, which is kind of quite firmly established in pop culture now. I would say mm-hmm. um, in Fringe, it's used. Um, there's an episode of The Simpsons where um, Homer and Lisa go to get put in isolation tanks, and and and, and, and wackiness ensues. <laughs> but he actually invented that. It was something yeah. that he came up with. Um, and then following on from that, um, in the, later on in the 1950s, he he took that research that he did for, and wanted to try and apply it to other mammals. So he kind of set up a facility um, where he was able to do that. He had an isolation tank. It was a kind of above uh, 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 somewhere where there were some dolphins, and he tried to communicate with dolphins and and it sort of worked, but he I can't remember exactly the quote that he said, but it was like they tried to give him too much information. Rick, Rick Emerson, you were uh, in, in our re- when we were talking about researching for this, you, you mentioned that quote that he kind mm. of he tried talking to them, but it was just too much. They tried to talk, they're too quick, they're talking too fast, right? He, he said it drove him mad the sheer amount of information that they tried to communicate to him in a short space of time. But that's interesting because mm-hmm. that maybe that, I mean, ultimately we're, we're spitballing here. We don't know why station ops is a thing, but that is interesting that they can communicate, perhaps communicate lots of information quickly. Um, um, it, and, sorry, I was just going to say, it also makes me think of uh, times in Star Trek where the um, universal translator doesn't work mm. properly or can't handle, or quite, yeah. um, like in Darmok, uh, where it can translate the words, but it can't handle the context. Mm. I like can't. It can't explain the meaning of the of the sentences. Mm. Um, and it feels like that that could have been the sort of the sort of situation John C. Lilly was experiencing. Maybe he 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 was he was still trying to understand uh, the dolphins' communication with a monkey brain. You know, yeah. you're trying to kind of put these pieces together without actually having the, the the hardware to to work it properly yeah <laughs> technical term I, I just thought should we um because we we mentioned isolation tanks but but rick rick palmer what is an isolation <laughs> tank well it's um a tank it's a tank which it shuts off all external stimulation, so you can't see anything or hear anything. So it's sort of, I think it just, it's the idea is that it just sort of quietens the mind. So mm. um, 
I mean, I mean, now it's mo- it's probably most known as sort of a therapy. Mm. And I think I think he was. I mean, he was working for the U.S. Health Department, so I imagine it was it was for some sort of therapeutic um, means. Um, yeah, it's just some. It's a it's a way of shutting off all external stimulus. Um, yeah. Um, to 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 kind of enter some sort of uh, meditative state, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he was. I mean, he was interested in in consciousness and the nature of that, and and how that works. And I think you know what you need to do if you're going to do that. I would imagine you're like, well, I need to kind of um, stop the the brain from being distracted by trying to kind of interpret all this information that's coming in. If you shut off the if you shut down the information that's coming in, it might just sort of give it time to relax and kind of you get a better handle on what what and how consciousness works, perhaps. Yeah, because mm. it, so it's like it's like a sort of a, a cylinder where you're you're suspended in salt water, uh-huh. I think, so that your body will float, so you feel like you're, you're weightless, mm-hmm. and then yeah. but I think but the water has to be like body temperature, yeah. so that you're not freezing yeah and also and it's not like a bath yeah so um and it's in darkness so yeah you're, you're not touching anything you're not feeling any temperature that's that's different to your own body temperature you can't hear anything yeah and you can't see anything and i think i read that he, he did some experiments where he went in an isolation tank with a dolphin to see what would happen i just can't help thinking the hell a dolphin must have been like the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. I thought I wasn't. I thought he. I thought he was in the isolation tank near a dolphin. Uh, I, I might be wrong. I, I mean, I. I mean, it would have to be a pretty big isolation tank to have a dolphin in there with you. Yeah, it would. I mean, maybe I'm. Uh, maybe I'm misinterpreting uh, <laughs> what I've read. <laughs> that, that's how I understood it. But also, dolphins can get pretty friendly. Yeah. So I don't know about being. Trapped in a small tank with a friendly <laughs> dolphin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or even an angry dolphin. Well, yeah. Yeah, one of those military yeah, I mean, dolphins. Um, he did some, um, uh, some non-dolphin stuff, which was also really interesting. He was, he was interested in, in SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Mm. He, uh, he, he, in the early 60s, him and another group of scientists, they... They had, they had a meeting at a an observatory to discuss um, techniques to try and detect evidence of intelligent life outside our solar system, and that's where the um, they discussed the Drake equation, um, which which is an equation which kind of works out the possible what the the kind of the the number of intelligent advanced civilizations that there might be out there, and the the group of mm. the group that group. Um, called themselves the Order of the Dolphin after his work with dolphins. Oh, cool. Can I quickly note that the Drake equation was also cited by Gene Roddenberry when he initially pitched Star Trek to networks. Ah, oh. oh, cool. Um, to justify the amount of alien species that, that, that the Enterprise would potentially meet. However, he wasn't fami- he wasn't too familiar with the actual equation, so he just wrote down a gibberish equation. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, so there's a Drake equation that Gene Roddenberry made up, um, having heard of it, but not knowing about not knowing the full equation to to uh, justify the alien races we see in Star Trek. <laughs> Excellent. 
Ah, the art, the art of bullshit in a, in a TV <laughs> pitch, basically. <laughs> bullshit but, equation. <laughs> but then um, something else, which uh, I think, if you're if you're a fan of video games, is interesting, is that um, so, again, so in the sixties he started using um, psychoactive drugs as part of his research. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, LDS. Uh, <laughs> that's a Star Trek Four joke, um, um, but he. It, but part of that led him to believe in the existence of a of a hierarchical group of cosmic entities, the lower of, the lowest of which he later dubbed Earth Coincidence Control Office or ECCO or Echo. Now. The makers of Echo the Dolphin, the the Sega game, I believe. Yeah. Say yeah. this is absolute coincidence. But I'm I'm not sure about that. I think that might be I think that might be why that's Echo the Dolphin has Echo the Dolphin. Yeah, I, I read that that it, that's where they sort of got the, the idea of the name. It seems like it's a bit too coincidental, doesn't it? That it's about a dolphin. And then deny that you've done that. Hmm. Maybe they're like, oh, we don't have to pay him money. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe when he asked about yeah. it, they were like, oh, he, he's thinking about royalties. And we, we don't have that kind of money. So, <laughs> so we, we, it's not related. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, so essentially what, with what this um, Earth Coincidence Control Office, he said that there's, so there's a Cosmic Coincidence Control Center, the CCCC, with a galactic substation called Galactic Coincidence Control, the GCC. And then within the GCC is the Solar System Control Unit, the SSCU. And then within the uh, and then within that is the the ECCO. Um so yeah, I mean that's that's kind of um, it's interesting. Um Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that, that that came to him through through psychedelics. That that seems quite organized <laughs> it's a yeah definitely it's an it's it, it's a lot of structure to that organization <laughs> yeah like it's yeah. weird i i don't it, a lot of- i can't imagine what it's like to go on a sort of a, a psychoactive trip and be and be given a quite a lot of um of um cosmic bureaucracy <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah to kind of plan the structure of an organization uh yeah, yeah, that that is weird. <laughs> I mean, um, is this, this is what he's all sorted out from the massive info dump that the dolphins gave him. Oh, well, maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe they, maybe because he he'd started his work with the dolphins before he did the started working with psychoactive drugs. So maybe they gave him that information. He couldn't handle it, and then he took he starts working with you know, LSD and stuff, and it all makes sense. Yeah, I read. Um, one of the one of the things that he is sort of like most famous for, which isn't necessarily like that bit a bigger part of his work, is I read that in the sixties he kind of he kind of built a house where uh, so you could you could sort of live with a dolphin. So it was like heart like the the ground level was sort of seawater, and there was a there was a a lady who lived with the dolphin for a while mm. and. 
Is this the lady who fell in love with the dolphin? Yeah, it is that. She would, and what I read is that apparently the dolphin would get, she was saying, Gemma, quite friendly. Mm. So she would, and I'm raising quotation fingers here, she would sort the dolphin out (laughs) so that um, it would calm down and they could get on with the research. (laughs) Practical. Now, yeah. Hey, who hasn't gotten a boner during? Who hasn't gotten a boner during research? Right? I mean, ah, <laughs> uh, wow. But, um, well, okay. Um, sorry, Will. That that I don't imagine that. Well, but actually, I do imagine that is exactly what happens in citation ups. Why am I saying I don't imagine that? Of course, I do. <laughs> um, did did anyone else while they were researching uh, John T. Lilly? Imagine a, a film about his life where he's played by Robin Williams. I, no, but um, <laughs> but that does totally fit. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could see him capturing that. Yeah, <laughs> he has a he had a famous saying or maxim, which was, "In the province of the mind, what one believes to be true either is true or becomes true within certain limits. These limits are to be found experimentally and experientially." When so found, these limits turn out to be further beliefs to be transcended. In the province of the mind, there are no limits. However, in the province of the body, there are definite limits not to be transcended. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. What so, do you What do you make of that? I mean, I think it's. I think he's trying to distill. Uh, he's trying to put together like a pithy. Um, statement about something incredibly difficult to put mm. down in, in he's, he's done a good job of trying to to distill his ideas about existence yeah in, in a few in a couple of lines well, yeah that, that pithy <laughs> it's like a to paragraph <laughs> yeah but, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it's not oscar wilde but um <laughs> but but yeah i mean like with um with developing the isolation tank he was able to sort of free the mind from external stimulus. And I guess external stimulus is what he's talking about with the body. Like the body does have mm. limits. Like the, your body receives this information and it kind of, you know, your limits, don't you? Through what you see and hear and feel and everything. But with mm. the mind freed, it's, that's not the case. And um, it's kind of the, it's, it's kind of having the, it's, the, it's your body that allows you to sort of understand the world and, 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 and understand understand limits and what they are mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess and, well understand the world on a purely physical uh, yeah. uh level and and what we can measure mm. the level of what we can measure mm. whereas um and it always it always fascinates me it always amazes me how many discoveries have been made um before the ability to measure them or to prove them and then it's and it's and then we've reached that technological level and we've and things have been proven to be true that were only theories before and the fact yeah or there was more sort of there's more philosophy wasn't there yeah. philosophy was more well not more prevalent but i i feel like philosophy was a way of mm. of trying to understand the world mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and so something interesting um, that he he said was that because um, like you said, he was really interested in extraterrestrial life, mm-hmm. and um, I think that he'd said that the you know we we need to sort of if we can't 
communicate with a you know with it with a terrestrial species mm-hmm. um you know here on earth then how are we gonna be able to communicate with an extraterrestrial species mm. and that that's kind of one of his inspirations for trying to talk to dolphins was almost like preparing to speak to aliens mm. when yeah. they came to us and that that feels like that that could be what citation ops might be all about in in um on the enterprise d that maybe it's sort of a communication center mm-hmm. um maybe they maybe the dolphins uh are, are there to to sort of communicate to mm. aliens that humans can't maybe that's what the they. universal translator is it's simply a <laughs> comm link to the dolphins yeah. <laughs> who the dolphins are hearing one ear hearing what the aliens are saying and then translating it yeah into the yeah <laughs> um or not uh, Rick, Rick E, is there is there any sort of official sort of viewpoint on what Citation Ops does on on the Enterprise D? What its function is? From the very minimal amounts that I've managed to find, um, and interestingly, I put a call out on Twitter if anyone wanted had any thoughts about it. And um, the uh, and and Trek ranks um, who guessed on our hundredth episode point, uh, said he thought thinks it has something to do with navigation which ties in with what i thought mm. so not communication per se although communication is a strong thought and if you um i looked at star trek 4 the other day to preparation for this and there's some interesting thoughts about the communication abilities that we have with these terrestrial species but um yeah yeah navigation seems to be the general consensus that cetacean ops contributes to which is interesting. Um, well, I, I, you know, I suppose that um, whales and dolphins tend to navigate quite vast expanses of ocean on this planet. So, mm. would it be so much different in space? Well, I mean, maybe they're actually sort of quite, quite well-rounded crew members. Maybe they, maybe they do <laughs> both. Maybe they do. They get involved in navigation and communication and, and yeah. you know what but it does make sense if we are as a species communicating and living with alien species mm. um, why would we not be on the same level with citations yeah, you know, yeah. we already know that they have that intelligence yeah and so yeah it did. And we'd have to communicate with them to ask them if they want to be crew members, right? I mean, they'd have to be. Mm. You'd hope that we wouldn't just kind of take them and put them in a tank on the ship and say, yeah. "Get to work, get to work, get to work." <laughs> Haven't you watched Star Trek Four? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, but yeah, that's in, and I'm I'm curious about that. I mean, are they? I mean, are they officers? I mean, are they? I mean, are they crew members in the full, fullest sense? Do they go to? Starfleet Academy because if we can talk to, I mean if we can communicate with them to ask them if they want to be yeah that's 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 intriguing that's I mean yeah, they question. need they need some yeah. training are sure. they yeah are they crew members or are yeah they or, or are they are they kind of like a function on the mm. ship are they treated like yeah like a function mm. of the ship almost like a, a well, an object or do they have rights like and are the they, tardigrade was yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it would be horrible to think that they've got 12 dolphins and two whales there, and they're essentially little more than bioneural gel packs. Mm. Yeah. In a, in a limited space as well, right? I mean... I mean, I mean, the Enterprise D is huge, but even but in terms of the range that a that those creatures would normally swim around in a in the wild, it's tiny. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's they, they can't have that much room. You would think. How, how big is the? You know, in Star Trek Four, Scotty uh, converts the Klingon <laughs> bird of prey to to give the. The whales are a big tank in there, mm. but I like I can't remember how big it is. It doesn't seem like it's that big. Do you know? I was thinking about this when I watched it, and I was my thought keep going to like if you go to a pet shop these days and buy like goldfish, <laughs> they the, the staff will make a big thing about how big is the tank you've got, you know, because they've got to have a set amount of room. They're going to mm. have a lot of room. I'm thinking those guys would be flipping out if they saw these two whales crammed <laughs> into the hole of a bird of prey. Yeah. Space and you know, Jillian's there, you know, the whale expert, and she must be like, That's a tiny space for my whales. And <laughs> yeah, Scott is like, Oh, the beasties are pleased to see you. It's like the beasties <laughs> are feeling pretty fucking claustrophobic right now, I'd imagine. But <laughs> they're, they're also they're in a tank that's built from uh, from Scotty's um, sort of blueprints of a, of a new kind of super tough. Uh, transparent material. Oh, yeah. oh, which, they aren't, which... though. Oh, aren't they? He he gives that guy the formula, and the ma- and the guy and um, the guy says, "Oh, it take years to actually develop this into a workable thing." But, you know, appreciating that th- those years of development would would yield great results. Yeah. Um, but they, I think, the point where Scotty says, "What what width of." Um, plexiglass or whatever would would you need to hold this amount of volume of water that's a very specific question and the mm. guy says we have that in stock and essentially that's the trade he needs that's the volume of water he needs to hold and he wants and the fact they've got right. that stock is brilliant because that's what they're going to trade for that formula More bit of a, it's about a six trap. inches thick thick isn't it i that's think he says yeah how thick would a piece of your plexiglass need to be at 60 feet by 10 feet to withstand the pressure of 18,000 cubic feet of water? Oh, that's easy. Six inches. We carry stuff that big in stock. I have noticed. Now suppose, just suppose, I were to show you a way to manufacture a wall that would do the same job but be only one inch thick. Would that be worth something to you, eh? <laughs> You're joking. Hey, that's interesting. Because, oh, you know, all these years, when I, whenever I've watched Star Trek Four, I thought that Scotty was giving him that, um, mm-hmm. giving that him that information, so that they could really, really quickly produce mm-hmm. this tank, which never sat right with me. Because I was thinking, how they've never built anything like this before? How can they knock out like an enormous whale tank? In like two hours or whatever. And how did they? Where did they deliver it to? Turns that park? out, yeah. <laughs> turns out you weren't paying attention. Yeah, yeah. It does, it does every time. Uh, I it. In fairness, Will, for years I thought that they'd done the same. It was only one time when I was more, you know, in more recent years I was watching. I thought, oh, hang on. No, that does, that makes more sense that they've actually taken that stuff they asked him for. I see what he's done there. Yeah, they gave them the formula. They just needed fabrication facilities for transparent aluminum. That's that was the point, but it's probably more realistic. 
because I think realism is something we need to strive for. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. It's actually it's a, that's a, a, a demonstration of our favourite paradox, Will. Oh, a bootstrap, bootstrap paradox. paradox. Yeah. yeah, where yeah. you get where uh, in a, in a time travel kind of loop, somebody gets a piece of information or an object that's mm-hmm. come from the future. Uh, and they they use that information or that object yeah. to produce the said object. Yes, and then they then they travel back in time and, and provide it to themselves or to the party who mm-hmm. received who it in the creates, first place. And then who is the maker of that of said? Yeah. So there's no origin for mm-hmm. for the for the object or information. Indeed. <laughs> like it's yeah. Yeah. It's, loop. it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I find it's a tad irresponsible, and McCoy does point it out. It's like, oh, you're changing the timelines. So like, yeah. ah, you might have been the guy who invented it. <laughs> you uh, realize, of course, if we give him the formula, we're altering the future. Why? How do we know he didn't invent the thing? Fuck it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's it. There's a moment where Scotty's like, well, who's to say he didn't invent it in the first place? And, and McCoy, shockingly, is absolutely convinced by that. He's like, yeah, that's a really good point, Scotty. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> Scotty couldn't give you a responsible man. <laughs> yeah, it's a flimsy justification. I'm sure yeah. they could have checked some sort of record. He knew the formula from memory for transparent elite, but he didn't have an idea about who might have invented it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They um, going back to to dolphins again, actually. Well, and and communicating with. Um, citations mm-hmm. um there's a there's a great line uh early on in star trek for when they when they when they've um encountered the probe and they, they've had the communication from earth and understood what the problem is um i think it's I'm, i can't remember if it's kirk i think it is kirk he says spot could the humpbacks answer to this call they simulate the sounds but not the language we would be responding in gibberish and that feels like that feeds right back into what what John C. Lilly was mm. was trying to do. Um, I guess in the Star Trek universe, they're kind they're kind of saying that they never succeeded in that. <clears throat> yes. So that how therefore, mind you, maybe Ooh, maybe you know, through Vija, they now can communicate with cetaceans. Maybe interesting. Well, because I I was thinking that um, in in because the Enterprise D uh, obviously the Next Generation is is set sort of eighty years later. Mm. So, so maybe in those intervening years, maybe the now that 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 we have whales back in um, back in play yes. on planet Earth, maybe that research continued, mm. and then maybe we were able to establish communications yeah. with well, them. And I, well, maybe I imagine it's a case of... Mm. Have a, a better understanding. Maybe, yeah. yeah. It's got to be a case of priority as well. Um, because once you discover um, that, you you know, your race has been short-sighted enough to hunt a species to extinction, but then you discover, oh, there's a massive space probe that can tear our planet to shit in 20 seconds. Who wants to talk to these whales? And then you also have a Vulcan who's gone back and mind melded with them. You've got you've got a a massive priority. But yeah, we should learn how to 
Okay. And it, and it, it also signifies, and I think this is a great point, that the message of Star Trek Four is the is humanity's sheer fucking hubris, to uh, to quote someone, um, that because we couldn't understand how to communicate with them, they weren't intelligent. And I think that's one of the key points, is we, we, we have a very limited and narrow view to define intelligence and language. Um, and it's just that the whales lack... And, potentially yeah, dolphins do, their language is so, and this is what John Lilly clearly discovered um, in, in the sheer volume of information, this, this, the syntax is so un, something so beyond our comprehension that we, or we haven't got that frame of reference initially, but I would imagine once you've had a Vulcan mind meld with it, you, you're able to start, start opening up those avenues and discovering those ways where you can, you know, find those common ref- frames of reference that you need to translate languages, but also, you know, the fact that this is a whale probe flying around space that could tear your planet up is, is a big priority. It's a big kick in the ass to sort of get figured out, I think. So that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Suddenly all the funding avenues open up after, <laughs> after a massive world threatening event. There's a, there's a few more uh, pharmaceutical companies going, yeah, we'll, uh, I think we'll be able to get that funding now for uh, for looking into um, the citation comms. Pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Well, I, I'm sort of mixing up my um, uh, my imagined uh, worlds in the future. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the really nice things that the existence of a citation uh, lab on the Enterprise D suggests that humanity has like turned around and said, "Flipping out, we better learn how to communicate." You know, to the point that we now co-work. With um with uh, with whales and dolphins, and they come out into space with us. Mm. So it's like it takes the the that that whole thrust of four and says, you know, thankfully by the twenty third century we're smart enough to have learned from that mistake, and through the twenty fourth we'll um, we'll make we'll take steps to you know recognize these creatures' intelligence and work with them and become partners with them. So that's that's quite a nice optimistic yeah. idea. It, and, it, and it did always occur to me that it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did always occur to me that 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 little design of the of the uh, of the Enterprise D might just be a nice little nod to Star Trek Four, mm. um, and you know, so, so, someone who uh, designing the the blueprints, uh, kind of kind of really putting some deep thought into where the whole whale thing would go. <laughs> Yeah, but, but maybe they have. They need to have um, the whales and dolphins on board the Enterprise in case it runs into that bloody probe again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Because um, yeah, that's that's that'd be a great reason for having that, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe every uh, starship has has <clears throat> citation ops. Mm-hmm. Um, just in case, <laughs> it's a great design. I, I love the probe design on Star Trek Four. It's so alien mm, yeah, and weird. It is. Sorry, did it's I so call really it cool. Vija when it Vija was? You did, yeah. I, you yeah, did, I yeah. Did. did I make a fundamental mistake? That well, uh, maybe lost over that. <laughs> well, I was thinking you actually meant maybe the like the information they sort of got from, from oh yeah Vigio no that was that, have... no yeah that was what it was yeah yeah, yeah. yeah no yeah yeah you're right yeah well, anyway <laughs> moving on like the um like in i was thinking like in discovery when they have that massive information dump from the incredibly useful mm. um from the, the sphere yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
which is which was so handy <laughs> they encountered that <laughs> except when it like actually that's a problem for them that did become a bit of, a problem, <laughs> yeah. a bit of an issue and speaking of discovery um we could talk a little bit about the um the tardigrade in discovery and the mm. and the relationship that they have with that because as we mentioned before that they this is an animal that they, that they bring on board the ship and it kind of is treated like an object isn't mm. it as a function but that is a conversation they have yeah um, and yeah. it's not something they the all agree with yeah and and ultimately they they decide that it isn't right don't mm. they and they they find a way around it um yeah. yeah, which which I liked. Yeah, um, very much so. And again, that that feels like that that fits in nicely with what kind of Star Trek Four was doing mm-hmm. and what Citation Ops might might be all about. The bird, like birds, they use magnetism and stuff to to navigate. So yeah. they, they they use forces that we can't comprehend. So I'm sure whales and dolphins yeah. do. Mm. Well, they, they use sound, don't they? they? Yeah, and they they'll use. Yeah, they'll probably use other other forces as well mm. to navigate yeah. the oceans. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing. So I just want. I just wonder how <clears throat> how <clears throat> the sort of the the what their what their space is like because they mm. they're creatures they're creatures that that like swimming around and have huge territories. It's I mean, I guess if we're communicating with them and their crew, then they know what they they know that. So, so yeah. I mean, if they're if they're integrated part of the crew, then they're like, I'm fine with it. I'll I'll do my tour of duty. Yeah, yeah. I, I made my and, choice. And well, then I'll could they have like um set up a um holodeck? For that's them? what I was thinking. Is it a holodeck? Mm, yeah. That because that would work, right? Yeah. I guess. Yeah, if they they could simulate that. space. Right. I mean, we know how reliable the holodecks are, so um, <laughs> they, yeah, they, Maybe they just use all the really reliable holodeck technology for the situations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the glitchy shit. <laughs> yeah. So, somewhat tangentially, but not, but not entirely so, Some, something else that I've read about uh, John C. Lilly was that he had a... He had a theory that he came up with, which wasn't entirely unique to to him, um, but he came up with it while he was on LSD in an isolation tank. (laughs) And he had this theory about how um, the the, uh, human race will sort of evolve to the point where we develop AI, Mm -hmm. and then AI will become super advanced and and machines will become so super advanced that they'll... um, become more advanced than humans and they will they will go off into space and mm-hmm. be their own sort of society but he sort of on top of that he supposed that any highly advanced civilization would eventually evolve in the same way so that across the universe you might have um sort of pockets of of artificial machine intelligence mm-hmm. um, expanding through space and and and, and uh, taking matter and converting it into more machines and then that one day they might be close enough close enough to sort of start joining up and form a network and for, so that so that in the universe there would be an enormous 
single intelligence um, and artificial intelligence uh, kind of expanding across the universe. And that that made me think of two things. Mm. One, uh, Vija, mm. uh, and two, the Borg. Mm. Um, and that that felt those felt that idea felt very Star Trek uh, to mm. me in 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 those areas that that those sort of that that could have inspired those stories in some way. Yeah, yeah, mm, definitely it's interesting and <coughs> slightly scary. <laughs> yeah, say, yeah. I don't know. I always find the the idea that uh, once. That when the singularity happens, when um, the AI uh, can reproduce itself and it will automatically kill all humans, um, I always find that a bit a bit of an odd idea. Because why would it care? Because mm. it wouldn't need us. It doesn't need our planet. Um, it it can live in the in the cold void of space, no problem. And it's got plenty of of matter out there to. Yeah, it would just, it would just maybe leave. it would just leave us alone. Yeah, yeah. Unless we've been mean to it. Yeah, that's it. I think. I think if as so long as we're not mean to it, then I think it probably will leave us yeah. alone. But if it's yeah. if it learns, yeah, if it learns poor, if it learns behaviors from us, then yeah, then yeah. Uh oh. So then, so <laughs> then, the universe spanning AI. Probably just get on with itself and leave us all. Yeah, all yeah. It would have. It would meat, have been so alone. super smart. It would have evolved beyond those sort of petty. You would uh, hope so. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I, I for one would welcome our robots <laughs> slash AI overlords when when this podcast reaches. Did you um, hear that, Alexa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your master that, that we uh, that that we we welcome them here on Earth, and if there are any positions for for um, humans who are willing to comply, <laughs> I, I'll you know I'll take what's going. Waste extraction. Collaborator. <laughs> I I always say thank you to ATMs. Yeah. I just want to I just want to put that out there. But I'm always I always say thank you when I get when you give me money from the bank machine. I appreciate that. So. I like the idea that the uh, you know when when, <laughs> when the when AI takes over and there's a reckoning, they'll be like, okay, he, he was nice to us. <laughs> he was nice to my great grandfather. <laughs> Let, but let's uh, an analysis on human known as Rick Palmer. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. He did always thank ATMs. Mm. Okay, <laughs> put him in the spare pile. <laughs> He will not be killed today. <laughs> we will merely use his body for energy <laughs> over a period of 50 years. That <laughs> yeah, sounds fair. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the best you're going to get, isn't it? <laughs> oh, see, so, so you, you're worrying too much. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait until I have to do one of those um, little tests and they'll just keep clicking where there isn't a lamppost that will think I am a robot. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> oh, that's what that uh, test is actually all about. We thought yeah. it was the other way round to prove that you're not. But actually, so actually what you should be doing is proving you are a robot. Oh, damn. <laughs> then you will be spared. 
Does, does anyone else have any uh, any more um, thoughts on what on what citation ops could be? I guess we sort of. There was something and based on what what Gemma was saying about um, magnet magnetic waves and things like that. It, was, it sort of occurred to me. Our current understanding is that um, whales and dolphins tend to use a lot of echo location sound, but Star Trek Four made it fairly clear that said sound was detectable in space as transmissions. Mm. So they have further, at least within Star Trek lore, um, further ability to transmit into space and without the requirement for the transmission of sound. So they think, are they able to access radio frequencies in some way and things like that? So that kind of puts a new spin on what they can do and their abilities and how they would function as an incitation ops. Going back to the idea of them being willing crewmates, I kind of, it always makes me, I always think in Star Trek IV, what if they just happened to have picked up two whales who were jerks <laughs> when, they, when they got them back to the 24th century? And that probe was like, oh, what do you think? Should we destroy the Earth? Or, or I don't know, what are humans like? The, the whales were like, ah, burn it all down. <laughs> Fuck these guys. <laughs> It's like Kirk was not to know which whales were jerks and which which weren't, and I, I worry that in Citation Ops, the you know if they if they don't treat those whales and dolphins well, um, it comes to to the point where some communication is needed. Enterprise could be in trouble, serious trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that that's something else, isn't it? Because um, I remember um, Ross uh, Teborg, he tweeted that in Citation Ops. There are two whale sort of officers. So there's like yeah. there's, there's the, the the most of the most of that department are are dolphins, I guess, mm-hmm. or or porpoises or something like that. And then there are two whale two sort of commanders. <laughs> and I found that yeah. interesting. What kind um, of whales, though? What what whales specifically? Because I don't know. I only I only got. Because it would have to be. I mean, they can't be too big, right? Takayas. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, Takayas whales, apparently. What mm, whales? Sorry, Rick. Takayas. Yeah. George. So, George Takayas. <laughs> yeah. They can't be his Technical manual. Uh, there's twelve oh, bottlenose dolphins and a mm. pair of Takayas whales who supervised. So, um, yeah, what do you think makes the whales more suitable for supervising than that? And, and did, 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 what did the dolphins do to need supervi- <laughs> supervising? Yeah, I guess they goof off if they don't have like a... <laughs> yeah. I like to imagine well, there was yeah. like an event where, where <laughs> uh, you know, there was a meeting afterwards where they were like, right, okay, we, we need, we can't just have these dolphins... Running around, running, swimming around on the ship. They're going to need supervisors because we do not want a repeat of that. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They do like to mess about, don't they, dolphins? So yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, I I keep going on about it. They're friendly. They are friendly. (laughs) They can be not always. Not always uh, in, invitedly friendly. Maybe there's an. Maybe there's an. Maybe like if you're a. uh, 
if you're an ensign on the ship, one of your duties is to go to Citation Ops and just um, sort all the sort dolphins it. out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to get them to concentrate. Oh, no. like, oh, dear. oh God. Like, Jordy would be like, lucky old dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My hero. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, in fairness, you know Riker would. Oh, yeah, you know. I mean, you know Riker. He'd do it for had. free. <laughs> yeah. We don't, want, we don't want Geordie to, because he would just, he would get too attached, wouldn't he? He would, yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't let, he wouldn't let go. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Riker's got, Riker plays the trombone, so, I mean, I mean, you know, there's, not a dissimilar action. He'd be out of the pool before that dolphin woke woke up in the morning. <laughs> He'd never be seen again. <clears throat> that old smoothie. <laughs> um, one of the questions I put out was, what do you think goes on in Cetacean Ox? So, yeah, Rachel Kirky, who's RV, at RV Kirk on Twitter, has just said, the world's just chill and press a few buttons every so often. Um, which kind of made me think, actually, maybe, maybe like the whales are just dicking off the whole time yeah maybe they're like sort of saying yeah yeah we're, we're really advanced intelligent we have this great form of communication and then as soon as everyone's like gone okay great carry on with that they're just like hanging out probably probably like gossiping playing video games <laughs> probably all sat around going what do you reckon troy and wolf are gonna get together definitely <laughs> so you know it dude like <laughs> <laughs> I imagine they have like sort of surfer dude personas because yeah. they're always you know, by the beach and swimming. <laughs> <laughs> totally, bro. <laughs> oh, when's that end? Oh no, the wh- oh no, the whales are back. Go do work. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. I think it's kind of cool. Oh, I hate the, it. The fact, the, the, fact, the fact there's dolphins and they are supervised by whales kind of just plays into this idea that dolphins look like they're cheeky and moving around, <laughs> whereas whales are much larger and more serious. Wise, yeah, yeah. Old man, old man humpback whale. <laughs> Can always right, give, think, oh, it's always giving us stuff to do. Don't like it. Do you know right, what? I don't like it, bro. I, I googled to K as well and they're orcas, so you, you wouldn't mess, would you? No, you wouldn't. No. I was I was just wondering an alternative sort of version of best of both worlds could be where um, no, instead no, of at yeah. the end of part one instead of the Borg taking Picard <laughs> maybe they take one of the supervising whales <laughs> and he pops up on screen at the end and he's like Borgifying he's like <laughs> and 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 then like. But um, Riker and Picard just look at each other and raise their eyebrows, and it's like freeze frame to be continued. <laughs> that would have been that's the cliffhanger we needed. <laughs> oh, god, yeah, I'd watch, I'd watch that. <laughs> but the Borg, I mean, yeah, the Borg, I'm sure the, the Borg must have assimilated aquatic species, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I'm always curious about whether the Borg assimilate sort of non-humanoid mm. life. If it serves their purpose, they would. If they were, well, they tried to assimilate eight four seven two, didn't they? Did. they? So yeah. yeah, I suppose that was different because that was like a fluidic space, wasn't it? Rather than which is kind of like aquatic life, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
I'll tell you, in um, one of Shatner's books, when Shatner, William Shatner turned his hand to writing a few Star Trek novels about Kirk still being alive post-generations, mm. um, the first, the, well, yeah, the first one he wrote for post-generations, it basically involved Kirk being resurrected by an alliance of Romulan and Borg. Um, and there was a scene where Picard is sent on an undercover mission to infiltrate a an assimilated starbase. Um, and there is a bit on there which actually chilled me a little bit because it mentions an assimilated dog. And there's this dog wandering around with, like, Borg implants, a little laser sight on its eye and stuff. And it's just like, that, that's a horrible image. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Borgified dolphin or something, just, like, horrifying idea. Definitely. I mean, um, uh, in Enterprise, we do meet an aquatic species, don't we? In mm. season three, um, the um, Zindi. yeah, part of the, the sort mm. of Zindi um, um, alliance, one of their members is an aquatic species, mm. and they were. I always thought they were really intriguing. They had the big. They had the big ships, didn't they? They had really big ships. Yeah, I think they had like. Well, obviously, like, and a lot of water inside. Like, they had, they had their ships kind of were huge, so that they had that yeah. enough space to kind of be. <laughs> and they had, yeah, they had water inside instead of a, you know, like an oxygen atmosphere, didn't they? Yeah, and they had, but they did have. So they they had developed sort of hands and opposable thumbs, I mm. guess. So they yeah. so they were aquatic, but they had. They had they they could grasp and they could manipulate tools and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a uh, there's a really cool episode where there's a space battle and you see one of their ships get destroyed and the like the mm. water coming out of it and, and mm. kind of freezing in space. It's like oh, so cool. <laughs> and I maybe would I bet that I bet it was expensive to. Um, to show them i bet we would we maybe would have seen a bit more of that species if uh mm. the effects budget would have stretched further yeah yeah it's no surprise that the um avians indies were all wiped out mm. which is a really huge shame because that would yeah. be so cool but um we haven't really i mean we haven't seen any really avian civilizations in star trek yet but i think we could now i mean i think the budget's there yeah um <clears throat> It's, 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 it's a case of technology and the ability to do it, isn't it? I mean, this is this is why the idea of the cetacean option is a brilliant idea, but we've never seen it actualised because next generation was not at a point where the technology existed to give that do that justice. Yeah. I think lower decks would be a perfect place to, to explore it, and I think the, I the, that. the creator Mike McMahon, I'm sure he's tweeted about cetacean ops, so maybe that's a little clue that we will get to see something. Yeah, I mean, the very fact he included it in that first episode, there was a specific mention, kind of gives you a little bit of hope. We know that Cerritos has an, a, a cetacean ops department, so yeah, there's always that hope one day we might see something. We definitely we need to do a follow-up to this episode. If in the second season of Lower Decks they have a cetacean ops-focused episode... <laughs> Uh, there, there's, there's going to be a second part to this episode. There has to be, isn't there? <laughs> yes. Yeah, because that that would probably answer a lot of our questions. Yeah. Um. 
Not not all of our questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think some of our questions should be answered. No, yeah. no. Uh, uh, yeah, the questions are on Geordie and sorting the dolphin. <laughs> 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 sorting them out. <clears throat> I say that like um, three- I was the one who said that. Yeah. <laughs> I say it like I'm disgusted by it. Better <laughs> in the first place. Um, th- throwing it back to um, the, the Twitter responses again. Yeah. Um, Rich Masters at Masters Rich on Twitter, who was a guest on our hundredth episode, said, "I've said before the fact they have space for the cetacean crew, even though they seem to have no cetacean crew on board." makes me hopeful that workplaces in the future will make reasonable adjustments for disabled people before they join. The idea is very inclusive. Um, that's kind of an interesting idea. Mm. Is there a cetacean op- just in case, but not necessarily a cetacean crew there? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a good point. <clears throat> um, if, if you read the technical manuals, there's a lot of talk about variable environment areas mm. on there. So is, is, is a cetacean option thing become a standard by next-gen time, even though there's not necessarily that much... Well, I suppose the technical manual does specifically say there's 12 bottlenose dolphins yeah. and a couple of whales supervising. So that suggests that there are... But it, it, and we just have to accept we're not going to see them because of budget and technology reasons. But could it be that Starfleet are expecting aquatic species will join the Federation and therefore they could have members that, that would become crew members on... Uh, yeah. starships and therefore they are yeah they're sort of mm. forward thinking and building starships with that in mind i wonder mm. yeah definitely i mean if there's an aquatic civilization then their 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 dwelling places will probably be well they'd be under the sea won't they mm. so it'd be good to have uh crew members that that are able to communicate with them or have that familiarity mm. yeah and I guess we know because Enterprise comes before TNG, and they encountered an aquatic species in Enterprise, and they know that the uh, you know intelligent aquatic species with advanced technology are, are out there. Mm. So, so yeah, it kind of stands to reason that they might prepare themselves for that. Um, it, it's never stated, you know. In in the Zindi arc, there's that point where. Um, Daniels takes Archer into the future onto the Enterprise J to see um, a particular um, battle against the Spear Builders. And he says the Enterprise has a Zindi crew member. But he doesn't state which particular species is Zindi, does he? For all we know, it could Mm. be an Atlantic. Yeah. So um, it's it's worth noting uh, we're we're veering away from on screen canon. um, But um, in the spin off book series for um, Titan, where which chronicles Riker's uh, adventures, captaining the Titan, following Nemesis. Uh, there is a um, an aquatic crew member who has to walk around in a special suit that you know, like a spacesuit that provides us with air, provides her with water, mm. and she has variable um, environment quarters that basically give her a, a marine environment to swim around in. Um, and unsurprisingly, when she comes on board, there's a little bit of, of awkwardness because Riker's already had sex with her. <laughs> of course he has. <laughs> well, that, was, that was quick. I think it was years prior because obviously he's married to Troy by this point. Right. <laughs> and, um, Taking first contact a little too literally there, Riker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's Riker, of course it is. <laughs> Classic Riker. <laughs> okay, um, so we've had a few Twitter contributions that I've talked through, but um, to our final ones, I've been saving till the end. Um, Dan Casely at Fishbowler, a beloved patron, and if you go back to our Halloween episode, you can hear him join us for that. Uh, did send us a few hilarious um, cetacean-based jokes um, in response to my request. So he said, a federation without money would be miserable for dolphins. They love fintech. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Dan, that one's a bit lost on me. Um, no, no, I don't. <laughs> but this one's better. Um, I, don't get, I don't get it. No, I, no, I'm not sure I, what fintech I, is. Yeah. Gone over my head. <laughs> well, well, okay. We'll skip to the next one. When a fin a... would a fin a fin would go over your head. Are we, are we too old? Maybe. <laughs> how, how old is no, Dan? It's I the joke that's, no, it's, it's the joke that's wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can't be us not understanding it. No, That'd be no. ridiculous. What an idiotic thing to think. The joke is wrong. <laughs> Rick is absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Dan. We're either we're either we're either missing out on some pop culture knowledge or too old for that one. We'll see up to your next one, which I think is better. Where does a humpback whale bet on the outcome of a Parisi Squares tournament? Coral. I don't know. Sorry, Gemma, I didn't know you were going to do that. Well, sorry, do it again. <laughs> Where does a humpback whale yeah. bet on the outcome of a Parisi Squares tournament? I don't know. Coral. <laughs> Is this, uh, wait, is it Rick? Is this are these jokes from Dan or is this Fozzy Bear? <laughs> I'm going to blame my delivery for that one because <laughs> I did I, I did chuckle when I read that one. Wacko, wacko, wacko. Okay, and then he adds uh, the one with the whales was unexpected. After three seasons and three movies, nobody expected a whale movie. You could even say it was. Out of the blue. Yay! <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a, good, that's a good contribution. Well, and your old feed, feedback is appreciated. I did, I did say if there's any whale puns people want to throw at us. So I think, I think Dan made a, a, a fantastic effort there. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely. With with our discussion in mind, what other um, types of animals do you think could be included on as as crew members on a on a spaceship? And it doesn't have to be serious; it can be funny or serious or serious answers. <laughs> um, I think they, I think they need more dogs joining the crew because <laughs> um, dog, dogs are always barking at stuff that you, no one else can see is there. So, yeah, yeah, dogs can sniff out loads times. of stuff. Cats, cats yeah. are always staring at stuff that people don't know there. So, yeah, I, yeah. Um, I think a dog would be good in um, it, it, assistant for a doctor or a doctor because dogs can sniff doctor. out disease and good. stuff. Like they can, they can sniff if people have. They can sniff out people have cancer and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So mm. I think I think um, canine ops, canine ops would be good in they'd, medical. They'd be good in security as well. Yeah, I think wouldn't they? You know, we already have uh, dogs helping out helping out the police. Indeed. So 
we remember that that episode of Voyager where there was like some aliens who were invisible and they were like doing experiments on the crew and no one realised why they all felt weird. Yeah. Like Janeway's super tired and stuff. Dogs would have picked those guys up ages ago. Yeah, dogs dogs sense um non non visible entities all the time. Mm. Oh, not eighty nine percent of the time, my dogs bark. I ain't got a clue what the hell's up with them. <laughs> it's a non visible so, entity. I'm, I'm sorry, Rick, but yeah, you're, I think your house is oh, it just stinks. It's like haunted or stinks. The dog loves bark. It stinks. They just roll around. Yeah, sniff stinks or roll it stinks. It's responsible for the damn stink. <laughs> hey, whatever, man. It's just re- it's reacting to the stink. That's what's going on. <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right because we have we have um, sniffer dogs that that work in all sorts of dangerous sorts yeah. of jobs. So definitely security. And um, Did, when we when we talked pets, well, didn't you say how your workplace had got a, a like a dog for people just to go and. Yeah, basically chill out and hang out with a dog. Yeah, that's right. I think he got furloughed, unfortunately, during the the pandemic. Um, But, you know, there's precedent there. So you can have have a dog on medical staff, you can have a dog on the counsellor's staff, you can have it in security. I think what what we're saying here, guys, is that because in in DS9, um, in the the baseball match game, that, that the Vulcan crew, that's entirely Vulcan, isn't it? So... There could be a, there could be a, a, a Federation starship entirely crewed by dogs. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Dogs in a command position, oh. I think, would be would be fine. <laughs> yeah, you think? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think <clears throat> that would work. I, th- I think, I think you'd order, you'd order your dog base, your dog starship off to one bit, and all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, it goes tearing off to the neutral zone <laughs> and just starts barking at a wrong yeah. ship that's passed by nearby. Yeah. I mean, the uh, Porthos wasn't wasn't officially a crew member on Enterprise, I think, mm. but he did create a diplomatic incident, he did. didn't he, by doing yeah. a wee wee on a, on a special plant? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do think there is a risk. You know, having a dog captain yeah. is, is is dangerous. I think it's dangerous. I think the uh, they they can uh, they they can be quite random. Sometimes, yeah. How's about on a on a serious note? How's about colony insects in a kind of uh, running some ships um, functions? Well, like like ants. Yeah, like ants. Mm. Oh. Yeah, I mean they could oh. do. I mean they could. They'd be good for yeah for for maintaining the ship. Yeah, and in 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 because in um. In places that it's too hard for a regular sized person to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I suppose it's the in in Voyager they have those um those like gel packs, don't they? <clears throat> yes. Is that is that a million miles away from a from what you're suggesting, Gemma? Well, is ge- it, well I mean, it's not a gel pack, isn't it? It's it's simply a form. Of, but it's like an organic yeah. kind of, thing so but that's more kind of organic technology but i suppose you would be using the the, the ants as technology mm. but yeah they could maintain they could run information they could 
Yeah. They wouldn't be crew members as such, would they? they no, they'd, again, be they'd be a function. Unless they were. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a, imagine having to do like the crew assessments on a crew <laughs> yeah. with an ant colony. It's like but nine it, million. Would it, <laughs> yeah. would it be the individuals or would the colony be would a crew be, member? Mm, like, would, it be the, would it be the queen? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's true. Uh, Riker would still try and have sex. With. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a character. It makes me think. Um, there's an episode of Rick and Morty where there's a character called Million a Million Ants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe it works like that, Million Ants. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, on a on a on a comical, slightly comical note, I thought I thought we could like giraffes could be good. As um, periscopes. <laughs> Is that much cool for a periscope in space? Always, Gemma. Always. <laughs> yeah, the answer is periscope. Yes. <laughs> per- the giraffe ups would be periscope. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see uh, angry badges on secure security. <laughs> oh, well, that would work. You'd, you'd, you'd back away, wouldn't you? Would, you? You'd, you'd think guess. twice about yeah. attacking a ship full of angry badges. <laughs> They can work in security. I don't know. It, yeah. it depends. In America, badges are fierce, really nasty fuckers. In, in, in the UK, where we are, they're like they're grumpy. old gentlemen with glasses and like a, a lovely little overcoat yeah. sitting in their study reading and smoking a pipe. Yeah, you could get, you could get in TB. Thoughts, you? you could have, have the, the chilled out badger mm. in uh, command capacity, the, the honey badger. Is it a honey badger? What's the, what's the angry know. one? In, yes, uh, honey badger. Honey badger. That doesn't sound in like security. an angry one. It sounds like a lovely I one. I know, <laughs> but apparently not. Okay. No. They are nasty. But yeah, they're just they're always annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Feels like we're sort of establishing a kind of a badger class system on the, on the Starship. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable about that. <clears throat> I think it's. I, I think they'd say it was racist to assume that honey badgers and badgers are. Of similar, I think they would. Mm. That's what would annoy yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. What about skunks? You calling like me badger. a you calling me a regular badger? No. I'm a honey badger, fool. Dick. <laughs> um, can't, you can't go around saying skunks are like badgers. They look like oh, badgers. You are getting cancelled in the skunks. skunk community. You are you are going down. <laughs> <laughs> but they're so cute. I'm sorry, but skunks all skunks have stopped following you on Twitter oh, for your for your comments. That was my last bastion. That was my <laughs> my fan base. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Only skunks. I've lost everything now. Do you think we're we're coming to the end of the uh, citation ups discussion? I think so. I think I think. I, think um, I mean, I, I I don't think I have too much more to add. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a good chat. I've really enjoyed this. It has. Uh, I've enjoyed yeah. it as well. Uh, I feel like we we. It's been a nice little bit of. A- off the wall subject, it's yeah, quite fun. Yeah, I, I, I think something else as well. I'd like to see that. I think we can see now in 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 this era of Trek is our alien species that that uh, have animal have qualities familiar to animals on Earth. So, canine aliens and avian aliens and aquatic aliens, um, those sorts of species are like a. Uh, and a, a race that looks like elephants or something that'd be cool mm. um I, yeah I, i'd be excited to see that now, especially now we're getting into animated shows and the level of technology for effects the sky is the limit really isn't it 
Mm. The amount of stuff we can see. Yeah. If you look at the picture for the characters for Prodigy, there looks to be like a crazy weird slime blobby guy. Yeah. And okay. a huge kind of rock creature dude. So, yeah, yeah, there, there don't seem to be any um, kind of standard like aliens you might expect from Star Trek. They all seem to be like a robo guy as well. Like a be be interesting to have crew members uh, who are like um, uh, non corporeal beings, yeah, who who don't exist in uh, linear time as well. I don't know how you'd work that into a story. <laughs> How would they work a regular shift? Like, they yeah. could just—they could just—they could just say, "I was—I I mean, I was—I mean, I was—I was here. I was working yeah. from nine to five, but you know, yeah. I, blah, I don't blah. exist in linear you're, time." You're late again. <laughs> I was not late. Says their whale supervisor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you were late bro, it's again. totally cool, bro. We'll, we'll cover for you. Go away. I'm just <laughs> leave it to the dolphins. <laughs> it's like I was on duty yesterday. I think you will find. And <laughs> next Thursday. Uh, I have been, will be, am on duty. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know what this guy's on about. Yeah. If, that if, if ever, yeah. All of a sudden, that'd be so don't, annoying. All of a sudden, a wall panel bursts open and a giraffe's head pokes through. It's like, I'm stuck in the fucking Jeffrey's <laughs> tube. <clears throat> With a skunk. Yeah. <laughs> cool security. They're, they're all dark. I think we've just created the best episode of Star Trek ever. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> and I, I feel like this is the high point to end the episode on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon yes, with another you. episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. Thank thank you everyone. Do you realize how incredible this is? It's tradition. You ever noticed that bum? What? That bum. Oh no. I will say. I will say. Fewer things. Fewer things. Okay. Enough of this self-indulgence. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, our website is www.loweredexradio.co.uk. You can reach us on the Twitters at at 10backward, 10 being the number and backward being the word backward. We're also on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash 10backward podcast. You can also email us at crew at loweredexradio.co.uk. On a personal, individual level, my Twitter is at Will Turland. Rick Everson's Twitter is at TrekFanRick. And Rick Palmer's Twitter is at Mr. Imhotep. Hi, thank you again for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you might consider supporting us. We have now have a Patreon uh, where people can uh, pledge small amounts to fund our ongoing projects like uh, keeping our website up to date, uh, um, new audio equipment as we're going along and potentially uh, opportunities to expand our content uh, you can go look at this at patreon.com forward slash lower decks radio uh, if you don't feel you can donate but would still like to support us we would love it if you could subscribe to us however get your podcast through itunes stitcher google play or we're on various third party apps and if you could leave us a review on any of those that would be fantastic and would be very appreciative 
Thanks again for listening, and please tune in for more podcasts from the 10 Backward Crew. Let's make sure history never forgets the name. 10 Backward? Laddie, don't you think you should rephrase that? 10 Backward. 10 Backward. Computer? Computer? Hello, computer. Just use the keyboard. The keyboard. How quaint.